Well, good morning to you, to those of you who this is the first time I've seen you since the new year. Happy new year. I always wonder how long we're expected to keep on saying happy new year to one another. Does anyone else have this problem? Is it the first time you see someone after the new year? Or is it just the whole month of January? Do you mean it after the middle of the month? I stopped meaning it about the 14th. That's probably not something I should be admitting. (laughs) But a very happy new year to you. Whether you're joining us online, whether you're in Ainsford this morning or here in Stone where we've got a happy little crowd, it's wonderful to be able to be together. I'll be honest, I feared we would be in a lockdown by now, but, uh, you know, let's just keep praying for the NHS. Let's keep praying for our schools. Let's keep praying for one another. Uh, Let's just keep remembering one another in prayer. In fact, that's part of what I want to talk to you about this morning. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7, Natalie's just read it for us, so I'll not read it again. But uh, if you're trying to find it in your Bibles, do pull it up, and um, I'm going to refer back to it several times. But I'd just encourage you to find it, bookmark it, save it, make a note by it. If you've got a digital Bible, they're my favorite because you can save it for later. You can set a reminder. You can write little notes beside it. You can do all sorts of cool things. If you've got a paper Bible, you know, bless you. I know some people prefer that. I'm not one of them, but bless you. And uh, as you take notes, I don't know where you do that, in the margin, in a spare book. Let me just give you a title to be working with and a couple of points so that you know how to structure your notes. My title is Fear God. I've got just three points for you. Fearing God, how it's all about the word and our heart, and how we have to work out our salvation. Don't worry, I'm not going to go off on some weird heretical tangent where it becomes actions, deeds, rather than faith through Christ. But I do think that there's something really important to be said about working on our salvation, that it's not just a a given. We don't just say some words one time, pray a prayer, and then never think about it again. And that's what I want to unpack for us this morning. So here's my first question to you. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? (laughs) I think sermons are meant to be encouraging, life-enhancing, life-enriching, because I think that that is what God does for us. He comes into our lives. He rescues us from our sin, from the things we've done wrong that we continue to struggle with, saves us to himself, and all the time, gently kindly, graciously reveals those areas that aren't fully under his control, those areas of sin in our lives, and helps us to more fully become the people that he intended us, intends us to be. And so I think this question, do you fear God, is a great one, because I think despite what your first reaction might be, This is a message of encouragement. You know, this passage talks time and again about fearing God, guarding your steps, being careful, 
not doing the wrong thing, but doing the right thing, committing yourself to God and walking out God's ways, not being quick to say what you know the right thing to be, but to let your word become your testimony as you live out the truth that is revealed to you from God. And how much more impactful is that in the light of Christ, our Saviour, who comes into the world as we've celebrated in Christmas just a couple of weeks ago. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas and got some wonderful gifts and quality time with family and avoided the dreaded plague that is COVID and managed to have quality time altogether. But when we look at Christmas, we see Jesus born as a baby, coming into the world, pouring out some of his divinity so that he could fit himself into a flesh body, so that he could be fully flesh and fully God. We call that, big theological word, it sounds impressive, hypostatic union. But he had to be fully flesh, that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us, a sacrifice in our place, and fully God, so that he could live perfectly. Because I don't know about you, perhaps it's a little bit early in the year to start talking about this, but I've noticed, church, that we do seem to be a collection of sinners. Sinners saved by grace, adopted into the family of God, called the children of God, and most of all, invited to not just be children, but to be friends of God. And I think that is amazing. That you get to not just be a child of God, but a friend of God. I don't know how many of you watching online or in Ainsford are parents. I've got my eyes on some people in the room here this morning that I know are parents. Parents, there's a wonderful moment and I'm sure you can attest to this, those of you with adult children, those of you with very young children, perhaps this hasn't happened yet, but for all of us, this applies to all of us, because we are all somebody's child, right? There is a wonderful point in your life where you have the opportunity as an adult to become a friend to your parent. Not just their child, but their friend. And I know life is messy and complicated and maybe you've got a tough relationship with your earthly parents. But I think there's something wonderful here about being the children of God that get to go on to become the friends of God. This amazes me. Because I think we should all understand that there is a huge disparity in the power dynamic that is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you think there isn't, you're deluding yourself. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, from everlasting to everlasting, all seeing, all knowing, all powerful, and he wants to be your friend. But you see, it's important that we fear God, not because God needs us to be afraid of him to be powerful. God is powerful, and the fear of God is the beginning of understanding, but also as friends of God, we need to remember rightly the power that he holds. I've noticed within the church, not just ours, but the church as a whole, I feel like we've become over-familiar with God. Some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure you can become over-familiar. What do you mean over-familiar? And I simply mean this. 
God wants to be known by us and for us to know him, but he is still God. He is still God. I've heard people pray things like, Daddy God, and I haven't got a problem with that. I've heard people talk about him being their heavenly father and how they just love spending time with him and how he's so great and he's so wonderful and they just delight in who he is. And I think that's great. But I think we've got to be careful. Because I think the risk with familiarity without remembering who God is by spending time in his word and all of who he is. I sometimes hear people say, yeah, I love God in the New Testament, but the Old Testament, I mean, that guy seems like a bit of a jerk. And God hasn't had a personality shift. God's righteousness and God's grace are two parts of a whole. Because Jesus came and died, God's righteous anger doesn't dissipate. God hates that which is evil, and God loves us. These two things aren't separate, but one whole. I think if we begin to lose sight of understanding who God is, that's the risk in not fearing him. We begin to diminish who he is. We become unwise, because the Bible literally says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I think the risk is we begin to lose respect for our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you have ever observed this. I know I have. Sons go through a tricky teenage phase where they struggle to respect their dad. And, you know, from the age of, say, 13, 14 to about 20, they're kind of coming into their own. They're working out what it looks like to be a man. And by the time they hit 20, suddenly they're like, gosh, the old guy's learned a couple of things in the last six months. When did he get so wise? But this, there seems to be this whole period of time where sons struggle to see their dads for who they really are, all that they know, all that they can do. And as they become men, they recognize the responsibility and the weight of that. I fear that we are becoming a teenage church. Not just here, not in Ainsford, as a whole. I fear that we are losing sight of the person of God in our desire for familiarity, in our desire for God to move in power, to cause a revival. We've stopped living like the mature believers that he needs us to be for his power for his power, for his person to be fully understood by his church. And if we aren't people who are living by faith, living out the righteousness of God, then it becomes hard for God to bless us the way he desires to. In the same way, you can't give 50 pounds to a naughty child when they've been bad. You don't reward bad behavior, you reward good. I fear that we run the risk of making our God too small. I don't know about you, but I'm a church kid through and through. I'm looking around and I, I know some of your stories. 
When I say I'm a church kid, I mean I'm a church kid's church kid's church kid. And we could keep going like that for a while. But growing up in the church, there was this song in the early 2000s. Don't worry, I promise I'm not about to sing it. I always feel mildly offended when people laugh at that. I say it because I know you're going to laugh, and yet I still feel offended that you're laughing that I'm not going to sing. It makes me want to sing at you. I won't. The song went like this. Have we made our God too small, too small? Have we made our God too small? He created the heavens and earth, and he reigns on high, and yet he's got the time for you and I. As you can probably imagine, this was a banger in the day. You see, this song that we sang in Children's Connect was a song all about the power of God and how we needed to not make God small because if we made God small, if we didn't understand who God is, then when we have our problems, our problems look really big and we can't take them to God because God's too small. He's going to be overwhelmed just like we feel overwhelmed. If God is small, we have no refuge and strength. If God is my refuge, the place I run to in times of adversity, if I don't understand who God is, how big, how powerful God is, then I have no refuge to run to. And if I have no refuge to run to, I have no place of safety. If God is my strength, but my strength is small, And so I turn to God to rely on his strength, but his strength is small, or I think it is, am I going to be able to trust him with my problems? If we don't fear God, we might keep his commandments out of love, but what of respect? When you were a child, there were rules in your house. As an adult, you set the rules. Whether you're a child or an adult, you know the standards and the rules that you live by. Without God, who makes the rules? And you see, the same God in the Old Testament that was full of righteous anger, who showed up, who put his foes to death, overcoming his enemies, who taught his people right from wrong, who led his people in the wilderness and in battles alike. That is the God that I believe in. And because of the person of Christ, that person, God, our Heavenly Father, God the Father doesn't change because of Jesus But my relationship with God does. I'm no longer a stranger, I'm a son. And so brothers and sisters, that's that's the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. It's close, it's special, and it's ours. But let's not lose sight of who God is while we're enjoying while we're enjoying our relationship with him. You know, recently I took some assemblies at one of the local schools. 
I was telling the kids in this secondary school about road safety. It's not the normal assembly I give. Normally the assemblies I give are all about the Bible and Bible stories. But there was a particular need for somebody to, to talk to the young people about this. And I think if you love your community as a church, you serve their need and you show them Jesus. You serve their need and you show them Jesus. You can't do one or the other. You can't keep telling people about Jesus but never love them. And you can't just serve their need and never show them Jesus, otherwise you've not really loved them there either. But as I shared these assemblies with these young people on how to cross the road safely, something that I think we would hope they would all learn in infant school, not secondary school, and talked about some crazy statistics. One that blew my mind is that somebody is hit by a car in our town in Dartford four times every week, and half of those are children. Friends, we've got to, we've got to do something about that. Just as a society, as a people, that is so broken and so wrong, and so avoidable and so wrong. You see, I respect the traffic because I know that if I step out in front of a car, it doesn't matter whether I'm black, white, male, female, young, old. You know, we really strive for equality in this day and age and being hit by a car is a great equalizer. But I respect the traffic because it's dangerous, because it can hurt me. I respect the ocean. I don't know about you, but my favorite type of holiday is a beach holiday. There's something about the ocean I find very soothing, very calming. Seeing a few of you nodding, a couple of people nudging one another. They are the best holidays and Cornwall has the best beaches, I'm just saying it. You can disagree with me later. This isn't something we're going to split the church over because I'm right and you're wrong. You see, I respect the ocean because I know when I go deep in those waves, it doesn't matter how big or strong I am. Those waves can throw me like a ragdoll. There is wisdom in respecting power. And I fear that we have lost sight of the power and the awesomeness of God. Because we've been enjoying this lovely picture of this Santa Claus type figure with a big bushy beard, all smiles and chuckles and cuddles. And we've lost sight of this God who has the power to call into existence all that we see. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. It's the beginning of wisdom. Some people say the fear of God is the start, but you need to press on because God doesn't want you to fear him. He wants you to know him and to be loved by him. And I agree, but I think that doesn't mean that you stop recognizing the power of God. And if that doesn't give you reason to at very least pause, I think you've not fully appreciated who it is that you're calling on as your heavenly father. God is all powerful. Read 
Respecting even fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. It helps us remember the realities of who God is. Yes, he is kind. Yes, he is loving. And yes, he is full of grace. But it is unwise not to remember that the Lord also says, vengeance is mine. And so I think the challenge to us is that our word and our heart align. This passage talks a lot about how words are plentiful. In fact, here is a a direct quote, to draw near and listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Let me paraphrase that for you. In other words, actions speak louder than words. It's better to draw near and listen to God than to say a hundred things about who he is. You see, if you know God, you want to draw close to him. You want to hear that still, small voice. You want to be led by him. You want to follow him closely. You want to spend time in his word. You want to spend time letting him speak to your heart. Have you ever heard someone say, I really feel like the Lord's just laid this on my heart? We want to be a people of conviction, not a people of condemnation. And I love these times in worship. It talks about coming to God and, you know, I interpret that a little bit like us coming to church. I love the worship. I love the music. The music moves me. The unity of the singing emboldens me. The words speak life and hope and truth. And sometimes it feels like they're just going right deep down into my soul. But do our lives match the songs that we sing? You see, in worship, we have the opportunity to declare who God is, and we do that boldly. We raise a hallelujah. But are the songs we sing on Sunday, Monday's motivation? Does our testimony match our intentions? Everybody wants to be judged by their intention rather than the outcome. Have you noticed? We live in an age where people want to be understood. They want people to see their heart. And they want you to excuse the realities based on their intention in doing it. Good intentions don't always lead to good outcomes. It's the 9th of January. Has anyone faltered on any of their New Year's resolutions yet? Trying really hard not to meet anyone's eyes (laughs) as I asked that. Is anybody struggling with a New Year's resolution? Has anybody ever struggled to keep a vow that they've made to the Lord? Actions speak louder than words because words cost but a moment, whereas actions are our words at work. And I think one action God wants more than meaningless words is words of prayer. 
Can I encourage you to pursue God in prayer this year? Worship is great. We love singing. We want to be a worshipful people. But are we known as a prayerful people? In worship, we lift our hallelujah. We praise God because of his power. And in prayer, we meet God because God is our heavenly father. When we pray, how do we pray? Not just for our needs, not just professions of faith or thanksgiving, but all forms of prayer. How can we serve one another in prayer? As I encourage you to pursue the Lord in prayer, is your first thought, yeah, yeah, I'd like some more blessing. I I could go for that. Are you thinking about everyone around you? Who are you going to serve in prayer? Who are you going to uphold? Who are you going to speak life over? Who are you going to minister to in prayer? They don't have to see you do that. Because God does. Who are you going to encourage in prayer? Who are you going to walk alongside carrying their burdens just as much as your own? Are we burdened for one another? Are we burdened for our church? Do you pray for this place, for these people, for our one church in two locations? Do you pray for those in Ainsford, those of you here in Stone, and those of you at Ainsford? Are you praying for us here in Stone? Are we praying for the good folk at Blossom's Care Home? Are we praying for those who are still watching online, who perhaps we haven't seen for 18 months because they're concerned about coming and being in the room? Are we praying for those who are lost, who don't yet know Jesus? I'm certain that every single one of us knows somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Are we praying prayers of purpose, seeking God and asking Him to search our hearts? Not just asking him for what we need, but just as the psalmist demonstrates, asking the Lord to search out our hearts, find the sin and the unworthiness in us, so that when we make our vow, and we make our vow really easily, those of us who are saved, those of us who have made our vow to the Lord, who have asked him to be our Lord and Savior, did we really recognize in that moment what we were doing? You see, for God to be the Lord of your life, he can't just be the Lord of your life at 10.30 on a Sunday morning in your home having lunch by 1 p.m. and that's you done. If he's the Lord of your life, then the conviction of your heart needs to be that the things that matter to God need to matter to you too. The things God is calling you to do, the person he's calling you to be even, needs to matter. You see, God wants your heart. When you give your life to Jesus, you give him your heart. You couldn't give him anything that equates to what he has sacrificed for you. And so you give him the only thing that he desires. But in doing so, 
he becomes the Lord of your life. Not just your heavenly father, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here's the crazy thing. He was all those things anyway. You saying, yeah, Lord, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. Calling upon the name of the Lord. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, that's true. But if you don't call on his name, he's still God. The key is that you're not saved. By acknowledging who he is, you don't give him that authority. He has it already. What you do is you invite him into your life and in doing so, he saves you from your sin. So when God wants your heart, and we've, we've talked about this so much, you've undoubtedly heard it said, we're serving an audience of one. I think that is literally word and heart alignment. And I think the Christian life is best demonstrated, that truth is best demonstrated in prayer. If we're to know God, and I have to assume as believers, knowing God is pretty high on our shared agendas, we have to seek the Lord in prayer, not just prayers for our needs or professions of faith or even thanksgiving, but all forms of prayer, full relationship with God, serving one another, speaking words of encouragement, declaring the promises of God, seeking him, asking him to search our hearts, And asking him to draw out our best. We need to remember who we're speaking to. Not hasty words designed to please the Lord, but the heart and truth that you know. We don't want to promise and worship what you can't walk out in life. Nor in vanity speak proudly about who God is to you, but fade to heed your own work. It's not good enough just to talk about who God is. We have to learn to live that out. And so my question to you is, how are you serving? Where are you serving? How are you putting this into practice? In life, where are you putting this into practice? In your life, every single one of us should have a unique and distinct answer to this question. Where are you putting this to work in your life? With your friends, with your colleagues, with your family. And then I think we should have an answer in church as well. Where are you putting this to work in church? Where are you serving? What teams are you on? Not what titles do you hold, because we all know titles can become very meaningless very quickly. But what responsibilities have you taken? What responsibilities are you carrying? Because we're in this together. If we're one body, you can't have lungs without a heart. You can't have a heart without a brain. Every part of the body is dependent on the other parts of the body for our very living and breathing. And the same is true in church. What are you doing? 
How have you committed yourself to God? How are you walking out the vow that you made? And yes, we know that faith comes by hearing, and we know that a word of faith, giving your life to Jesus, is as simple as asking the Lord into your heart and into your life. But when you call upon the name of the Lord, it doesn't stop there. That's the first step, not the last. You see, faith, faith is the road to God. And grace in Christ is how we get there. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Basically, there is no other form of salvation, no other way to God than faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible also says you will know them by their fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Friends, what is that? What does that look like? in our day-to-day lives, in our lives together as the body of believers made up of this church. And for God's glory, this matters. Sometimes, you might have heard me say, the things we do now echo in eternity. And that sounds like really grandiose, grand language, and you might think, well, I'm not sure that comes. I mean, it's a good thing to say. I suppose he does have to find some good little things to say. He's trying to preach. But actually, the things we do now, echo in eternity, is true. And it isn't just grandiose, it's a reality. The things you do now, the people you impact, the lives you affect for God's glory, the people that you draw into relationship with God, that you encourage, that you minister to, that you speak to, in life and through church, because church is just the gathered people of God. It's not about the buildings, whether they're amazing or whether they're humble. The building is the home of the church. It's the place we gather. It's a bit like your house, your home. But the things we do echo in eternity because of the people that we have the opportunity to draw into a relationship with God. And that echoes in eternity because they will join heaven's chorus. It's not grandiose. It's a really simple reality. We've got the opportunity, and the opportunity is now, to draw people closer to Christ, working in partnership with our Heavenly Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, Revealing Christ, our Lord, our Saviour, to a world that is lost and hurting. And so we work out our salvation personally and together. With fear and trembling in faith, running the race, bearing our cross. And remembering these things aren't about me, they're about God. That God is Lord of all. That we make these vows to love and serve him with great care. We give our lives to Christ our all, or at least that's how I was taught. 
Jesus isn't an add-on, something to do on Sundays. The church and your worship are important because it's important to God. The importance of the Christian faith is not experience or power or even divine revelation, but knowing God, which starts daily in fear. When considering the person of God, that is our first response. And by his grace, his kindness and his gentleness, we are coaxed from our awe into our relationship with him. The Lord of heaven and earth, the King of kings, the one is who, who is from everlasting to everlasting. That's who we come to worship on a Sunday morning. That's who we meet in our daily devotions. And as the late great C.S. Lewis remarked via the Chronicles of Narnia, he is not a tame lion. Our relationship with God, the person of God, is on his terms and is for his glory, but is also for our good. I think it's amazing that God is still God whether we believe it or not. I think it's amazing that God is to be worshipped, to be praised, but doesn't demand that of us, but invites us to become his sons and daughters And in getting to know him more and more, that becomes our natural heart response to who he is rather than what he demands from us. And because he is all-powerful, he could demand it from us and we would be powerless to stop him. But in fact, he comes to us. He comes to us in the form of a baby born in a manger, born that we might no life and life to the fullest through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is who God is. This is who he wants to be in our lives. This is why our relationship, when we see God fully, must always have an element of fear that drives us to pray, to seek him, to know that he is big enough to handle all of our problems. And is inviting us to unite ourselves with him for his purpose, for our good and for his glory. That the vow we've taken as believers isn't just idle words. But the truth to which we cling. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and that you are God. We thank you that you teach us to guard our steps when we enter the house of the Lord. That you teach us to listen to you, to hear that still small voice. That you counsel us not to be hasty, to bring you great promises and praise. And Father, we thank you that you invite us to make that vow that leads to our salvation. But Father, help us not to come up short in paying our part, giving our lives to you. 
Father God, we want to give you our lives, our whole lives, all that we have and all that we are. As we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you that as we pray these words of faith, we thank you that you don't just want from us fear, but friendship. Help us not to grow complacent in seeing you for all that you are and all that that means. We bless and praise your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, we say. Help us. Help us to know you more fully. To hold on to the fullness of truth in who you are. Not to grow complacent, but to know that we haven't made our God too small. Because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are our refuge and our strength. And we bless and praise your name. Amen. Amen.